Good afternoon. I'm Tristan Field-Jones. This is Global News on 680 CJOB. We're going to take you now live to MTS Center where True North Sports and Entertainment's Kevin Donnelly and Winnipeg Police Constable Rob Carver are addressing the media in the wake of the attack on an arena in Manchester. They're answering questions on security protocols at our arena. Here is Kevin Donnelly. We look forward to uh, uh, moving with the industry and figuring out how to how to deal and how to be prepared as best you can for situations like this, the um, you know the the relationships we have with the Winnipeg Police Services, with the RCMP, with our colleagues in the industry, where we can uh, extract uh, information and best practices, so that we can be again as prepared as possible for a situation like this. You can never be too prepared. You can never make your venue so that it is. Um, incident proof but you can plan for these worst case scenarios and try to do what you can to mitigate the opportunities for them. So we are joined today by our good friend Dante, he's an explosive uh, uh, dog, a bomb, a bomb threat dog, so uh, we have uh, plans to, to have the dog with us at the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert this, uh, this Friday night. We have a sold out show here in the building. We will be augmenting our security to include uh, our good friend Dante, and uh, hope that you know we can reassure the audience, reassure the public that uh, attending events at the MTS Center is is a, is a safe occurrence. It's a it's a an opportunity for people to come and enjoy themselves in the most safe and secure environment that we can possibly provide. So, again, we're saddened by the events from yesterday. We look forward to the opportunity to try to uh, reassure people that uh, coming to the building. It is a safe and secure um, uh, event and a safe and secure uh, place to come and see sporting and, and concert events and look forward to uh, working toward that for a long time to come. In the short and long term, Kevin, will there be any, you mentioned the, the bomb sniffing dog, what can people expect to see in terms of potential enhancements to security, if any, here at MTS Center? I think the, the notion of the, the requirements that, that we provide here, you know, it, it is at a dynamic um, level. We're always looking to increase and enhance and stay current with, uh, you know, the, um, the standards around the globe. We'll be talking to our colleagues at Live Nation, the promoters for this, um, uh, this event this Friday. And they were the promoters for the event last night. They're a global operation. Uh, and again, working with our colleagues, working with uh, security services working with the RCMP and the and the city police. Um, what what the requirements will be, um, you know, I think is a fluid requirement where we are willing to to meet and exceed those uh, those requirements. But it's something that I, I just think you know the bar always changes, and we're going to be working to to meet that. Soft targets have been uh, you know a problem for for a while. People have been aware that uh, public gathering spaces uh, could be a you know a target for terrorists. How much of an impact do events like this have on on your security planning when they do happen? Uh, you know, uh, I think this changes everything. You know, soft targets, as you mentioned, there's you know it could be a mall. It could be uh, we've seen it in malls, we've seen it in train stations, airports, we've seen it at a finish line. So these are things that you, you know you want to send the message that we're not a soft target. You want to send the message that that we are. Uh, um, a fully staffed and operational and, and aware uh, location that our staff are, are trained, that our partners in, in this service, like the WPS, are, are fully engaged and, and, and part of a fabric of security that we have built here. So, you know, uh, 
the, the needle moves and you try to move along with it or you try to stay ahead of it. But you don't, you don't want to be viewed as a soft target. Kevin, does the arena have an evacuation plan in place? Because that was part of the situation in Manchester yesterday where some people were hurt kind of frantically rushing out of the arena as that situation unfolded. What kind of protocols are there if you did bomb or for whatever threat need to get people out of MTS Center quickly? What would be your message to people there? Well, we do have an evacuation plan. It's part of our fire and uh, uh, that, that type of uh, pro protocol. So the idea would be we would want people to just follow the instructions of the staff because we do have a process and a protocol for evacuating. Uh, you know, it, it is a worst case scenario. Last night was a worst case scenario. Uh, but the message would be follow the direction of the staff and the and the people in authority around you. Is the K9, the addition of K9, uh, would you say direct result, uh, reaction to last night's event? Uh, uh, I can some sure, sure, I would say that the, um, uh, the K9 is something that we've done in the past. We do it periodically depending on the requirements of the event. Uh, bringing it for this event in particular, yes, is a result of last night. But it's not something that's totally new to us. Just, uh, I mean, you guys have the metal detectors in place. There's been some criticism uh, that the Manchester Arena didn't do a good enough job checking bags. Do you feel like you have a good protocol in place uh, for that right now? Uh, you know, absolutely. Again, we uh, follow the protocol set by the uh, the NHL and our partners in that regard. We think that, uh, you know, the, the process and protocol that they set would be minimum standards, and we try to, to meet and exceed those. But, uh, you know, our reentry policy, the magnetometer uh, usage, uh, and, and just the general security component that we, that we bring, we think, um, you know, does give us the benefit of providing what we consider a safe environment. Just one more. The recent policy of keeping people in the arena, is that something that now you look at, it was controversial at the time, but now it keeps people in here, and is that better to have? Uh, you know, the reentry policy does, and it's why it was contemplated before, it, it allows us to check the people and keep them in the building. And once they're in the building, we largely consider the, that they've been processed and, and checked and so therefore safe. Uh, having the no reentry policy eliminates the possibility of someone leaving and getting something foreign and bringing it back in. So yes, uh, this is, you know, unfortunately this is one of the reasons why you have a policy like that. Uh, hi, I just want to... Uh, reiterate what a tragic day this is not only for um, the people of England but for for everybody the, these these events hit hit people everywhere um, I'm usually here as a public information officer but here today I serve two roles I'm also part of the Winnipeg Police Service crowd management unit and that unit and myself have been involved closely with the uh, with True North and EMTS Center since it was developed um, I know there's a lot of questions about enhanced security but one of the things I want to stress is that while we work very closely with True North uh, on a regular basis, whether there's, you know, in, in, in response to an unfolding event like this, or just information that we have on a regular basis, we, we try typically not to talk about, and you know this from a police standpoint, we don't talk about the details of, of security enhancements. Um, uh, Kevin Donnelly has talked about that there are some changes, certainly a explosive dog is one of those changes. And um, we have other things as well, but they're, they're not things we're going to be um, uh, discussing uh, to the public because it, it's part of our security strategy to make sure that uh, we're looking at things, we're deploying resources, we're changing tactics as we often are, and, and that's how we 
go about working with our partners to keep venues safe and keep crowds safe. Is it fair to say, though, Rob, that security will be enhanced, at least for a little bit, in, in lieu of what happened last night? Absolutely, and I don't even know if it's fair to say that at least for a little bit. I think, I think every time uh, on the international landscape an event like this occurs, uh, security changes start to get implemented, and often they're never ratcheted down. You know, 20 years ago, the thought of metal detectors at a public event were unheard of. Now the thought of having a public event where they aren't is unheard of. So I, I think that's part of the security landscape we're going to see forever. Well, well, can you just talk at all about the bomb-sniffing dog, what that will do? What Can people expect to see anything differently if they're coming to the show on Friday? Well, first and foremost, we're going to have an officer with a dog, which is which is a bit of a change. Um, you know, we know from a police standpoint, one of the reasons that police are are at events like this and, and, and MTS and, and True North want us at events like this is increased police presence changes security profiles. We're going to have a lot of officers here. We work closely in conjunction with the security partners that are already in place at, at True North. Um, we've had existing teams and relationships for since the inception here. So, so uniformed uh, security personnel, uniformed armed uniformed police, uh, a dog, uh, and a dog handler are are part of um, really uh, the very first line of security, which is a visual visual presence to say to people coming in. We've got security of this facility as as our highest priority, and they need to know that. Are there going to be armed police officers in the building moving forward? There are always armed police officers at events, uh, at every major event. Uh, part of uh, part of my team in the crowd management unit are are here. Uh, I'll be working as as I had previously. Uh, agreed to. I'll be working at the uh, event on Friday, and and we have a team that trains regularly, uh, not only as a team but with True North in terms of venue and in terms of uh, in terms of all the protocols they use. So well, this is something we're we're very used to. While you're here, we have the Canada Summer Games coming up, another fairly high profile event. Any comment you can offer on sort of any security reviews that might be happening uh, in conjunction with that event? Other than, other than to say that security analysis for and, and security prep for that has been ongoing since it was announced, I don't have any de details that I could provide. Is most of this stuff, Rob, going to happen behind the scene? The idea is that people who are coming to the Red Hot Chili Peppers on Friday or some other event don't necessarily see all of this right in front of their face happening, right? You know, some of it we want you to see. We want we want you to see a big security presence. We want people to know that there are security at various layers here, both uh, both civilian employees from True North, as well as members of my team, as well as uh, as a dog handler and a dog. Um, so part of it is very visual, part of it's not visual at all. Part of it is behind the scenes, as you've said, and that's something we're not going to talk about here, but suffice to say that it is a big component of how we make venues like this safe. The Bombers Games concerts later this summer, will we see dogs there too? I, uh, I haven't spoken to anybody about that, but I certainly think it would be reasonable to assume that that's going to be uh, a new layer of security that's going to be fairly common. The relationship with you and uh, True North, when something like this happens, how does it uh, interact? Do they reach out to you? Um, how does that... You know, there's dialogue all the time between organizations, uh, ourselves, True North, uh, in Investors Group Field. Um, it, it really depends on how the day unfolds, who's going to make the first phone call. But we're in discussions regularly, all the time, regarding major events. Uh, these probably started with a heightened sense of urgency, but this is just this is the way 
uh, we operate and have operated since the inception. Constable Rob Carper with the Winnipeg Police Service. Earlier you heard Kevin Donnelly with True North Sports and Entertainment at a press conference this afternoon at MTS Centre in response to what happened in Manchester yesterday where a suicide bomber, a 22-year-old Salman Abidi, committed an attack, a terrorist attack, 22 people dead, 59 injured, uh, just outside an Ariana Grande concert. The dead include an 18-year-old, an 8-year-old, an eight-year-old child who wanted to see Ariana Grande perform. Dead. Kind of a, a difficult start to our show. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. We like to have a lot of fun in this program, but when uh, something like this happens, uh, you know, we have to put that aside for a moment. I guess there's a, a fine line, Brett, between being reassured, overreacting, underreacting to situations like this. Um uh, Half a world away, but of course, uh, lots of people in Winnipeg who may have even attended to an event in that Manchester arena, uh, people that have relatives or loved ones that are visiting that part of the world right now. Uh, these things ring very close to home, and that's why we, A, focus on them, and B, clearly, this is going to have a ripple effect on the experiences that we have in the entertainment venues that we enjoy in our community, which is why we brought you that news conference from MTS Center uh, just moments ago. Keith McCullough, of course, Global News 680 CJOB was there. And Keith, some excellent questions and also some outstanding reassurance from Constable Rob Carver and from Kevin Donnelly, True North Sports and Entertainment. Yeah, Greg and Brad, I was a bit surprised at how forthcoming uh, Kevin Donnelly and Rob Carver were. It's clear, and this is a positive, that they're taking this very seriously. They're being proactive about this situation. I guess the the big takeaway, if you're coming to the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert on Friday, or really any event, it sounds like uh, moving forward here at MTS Centre and likely at Investors Group Field, where the Bombers play and other venues as well, is that there is going to be heightened security and you heard Rob Carver say it, it may this may be a game changer this may ramp up security at venues in Winnipeg that uh, and not just temporarily but permanently now moving forward they're going to have a bomb sniffing dog with an officer from the canine unit uh, in the building on Friday and I imagine uh, at many events uh, moving forward some of the security enhancements you'll you'll notice you may notice more police officers in the area Many of them, police don't want you to see. They don't want to get in the way of you enjoying the event, but they're sort of working behind the scenes to make sure everyone is safe. And I think that's good news for everyone involved here, whether you're a concert goer or a sports fan or just a Winnipegger who cares about what happens uh, in this city. It certainly sounds like our police and the people who run the venues that we come to to, to have fun and to escape for a little while are fully committed after what happened last night to making sure something like that does not happen uh, here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. Of course, Kevin Donnelly having the unique experience and perspective of being a participant in the Boston Marathon in 2013 where that tragic bombing took place at the finish line there. Uh, Kevin referring to it uh, ever briefly in his statement. The other thing that I think is important to note, and you asked the question, Keith, the idea of having an evacuation plan, not only for a situation that took place last night in Manchester, 
but also in any other sort of situation where there might be the propensity for people to panic en masse when they're being asked to leave a venue such as MTS Centre where you've got over 15,000 people that they need to get out safely. It could be for a variety of reasons. And that idea that there is an emergency plan in place, I'm wondering if we're going to come to a time where there may be a video on the scoreboard like you have a presentation at the beginning of a flight on an airliner that reminds you to figure out where the emergency exits are, to contemplate what you would do and how you would react in a situation like that. We had that discussion in the newsroom this morning. I think we're certainly getting close to that point, you guys. And I, and I, I think you're right, Greg. I think we could see something like that. I think the takeaway from what Kevin Donnelly said is we have a plan. Uh, obviously, these things tend to sometimes, in a situation where everyone's panicking, you know, best laid plans, mm-hmm. uh, people's emotions can get in the way. But as much as you can, try to listen to the staff. Uh, MTS Center staff are trained on all of this stuff. Now, they're not necessarily going to share all of that with us. And maybe we'll try to do a little bit more digging and find out exactly what the evacuation plan is here or at Investors Group Field. But There is a plan and the message if you're coming to an event uh, in the near future at uh, MTS Centre or Investors Group Field is try as much as you can to remain calm and listen to the trained folks around you, be it a staff member or be it a police officer. But again, I think reassuring that Kevin Donnelly and Winnipeg Police and the RCMP and everyone involved are coming together here to make sure that they've crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's and are doing everything that they possibly can to try and make sure we don't need to use an evacuation plan at one of these places in the future because they're snuffing any of this stuff out before anything bad happens. Keith, just one more thing. If you get a chance to talk to Kevin Donnelly, just this did not come up in the idea that MTS Centre is in the heart of some very public space including skywalks and the arena itself is a public space for a majority of the day. So I'd just be curious to know if that adds some challenge, if we might see an alteration like we saw several years ago to where that that rotunda area now is officially part of the arena on game days uh, coming up about an hour and a half before they open. And But I'm not sure what the rule is after the game. And then, of course, you've got that ticket uh, will call area that is in a public space. It only is divided by the private space, if you like, of the arena by these metal detectors and really uh, an undesignated section uh, that's cordoned off uh, by really those ropes that that create lineups for and, and cues for people. Well, let's ask him the question right now, Greg, Kevin Donnelly, to North Sports and Entertainment, uh, joining us here on 680 CJOB after the event wraps up. Kevin, Greg Mackling just asking, uh, the rotunda area uh, at MTS Center here downstairs where kind of the part before you go through the metal detectors where a lot of people can sort of come and go. Uh, How exactly does that work? Any plans to maybe push the security line back sort of right to the exterior doors of MTS Center uh, moving forward? Well, I think that, you know, we do have a security presence that watches that and we do, you know, we are actually on the sidewalk out in front of the building, but, um, you know, where, where we have to redeploy people and what we and what the final assignment is we'll work through that with the city police and, and figure out where we can start to pick up 
um, you know, really the, the supervision of, of people as they come through. But that box office area out in the rotunda is our space. It's some, it is this area that we will work to make sure is as safe as we can make it. Guys, I know you'll, you'll likely have to take a break shortly, so I'll throw it back to you. But uh, much more throughout the afternoon down here from MTS Centre. Global News reporter Keith McCullough with Kevin Donnelly of True North Sports and Entertainment joining us live from MTS Centre after a press conference detailing security measures that there are going to be some changes for security measures for events like the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert coming this Friday. There's going to be a bomb-sniffing dog, Winnipeg Police K-9 unit on scene. Not something that is brand new. They have done that before. But it is something we are going to be seeing more often now after yesterday's suicide bombing at an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, England. We will pause. We will have a look at your forecast and continue the conversation in a moment on 680 CJOB. 124 on this Tuesday afternoon. We hope sincerely that you had a an outstanding long weekend if it was in fact a holiday weekend for you. I want to thank you for tuning in this afternoon. The bombing, the terrorist attack in Manchester, England, of course, a dominating conversation uh, no matter where you are in the in the Western world, I imagine. And, of course, that uh, conversation highlighted at the top of the hour with a discussion and a news conference with Kevin Donnelly, True North Sports and Entertainment, and Constable Rob Carver, Winnipeg Police Service. Do these sorts of things, you know, I know you don't go to these events a ton, Brett, but does it make you think twice and... Does it reassure you, the conversation that took place earlier this afternoon, just in the last uh, 25 minutes or so, that uh, the, these event centers and and the police are being proactive as opposed to reactive? I guess they're reacting to something that's ha- happened elsewhere in the idea of making sure it never happens here. I don't, if I, let's say, for example, I was going to the Red Hot Chili Peppers on Friday. I don't think I would have second thoughts about oh, why I'm not going to the show but I, it, with the increased amount, the increased number of, of these sorts of incidents, these events that are happening around our globe and continue to sort of make their way further into Western civilization, so to speak, I, it's hard to not think about these things, but it, it wouldn't be enough to make me stay away. And it is nice to know that, that police are working with True North Sports and Entertainment, that True North is working with industry leaders around the globe to make sure that they're always staying on top of security measures. And I kind of liked how Constable Rob Carver said, look, I mean, we have tactics. We have security tactics. We can't tell you what they are because they don't want to they don't want to tip their hand to anybody who might be planning something nefarious. And the, the question I think was asked was, were there going to be armed police officers? And he said, they're always our officers. And I mean... I can think of, I go remember going to concerts at the, I remember seeing Econoline Crush at the University of Manitoba. I can't remember what year, in like 2001 or something. And there were a couple of police officers roaming through University Center. Uh, the odd time, I remember police coming in and out of nightclubs sometimes. They just sure. make random pop-ins at Euphoria back in the day at Windsor Park Inn. So they are always at least making their presence known. Yes, we're going to see an increased presence, particularly this Friday, with the, I mean, the Chili Peppers, that's a big, big deal, big event, big concert, uh, especially on a weekend. So, yeah, it'd be nice to see some more police officers. But uh, to answer your, to go back to your original question, no, this isn't going to make me, I wouldn't stay away from an event. Because you can't, you can't live in fear, but these events, you can't help but be at least maybe a little extra vigilant. I don't know if that's 
if that would be the word I'm looking for. No, I think that's probably the exact right word and to have those conversations to contemplate. What would you do in a situation where there's an evacuation order, where something is happening? How do you maintain your cool? And as a parent, because I default to that every single time, it's not really about me and my life anymore. It's about my kids and making sure that they're safe and, you know, just the little things that you might do in terms of, I've mentioned to you, when we were at Disneyland three years ago, the biggest rides that I normally wouldn't go on on my own, I went on with my kids, not because I really wanted to, but in the off chance, the one in a million, that that roller coaster is stuck on the track for seven hours I don't want them by themselves. I try not to let my kids go to the bathroom by themselves, not because I'm worried that something's going to happen to them, but in the one in a million, I want to be close by. I want to be able to protect them best I can. You can't cover all the bases, but there are little things that you can do for sure, in my opinion, to limit your risk of being the victim in those one in a million situations. We're going to continue the conversation in a moment and talk about the balance between being reassured as well as to whether what is an overreaction or an underreaction as we continue this discussion on Mackling and McGarry. Global News at 1.30 is up next. 1.35, Tuesday afternoon after the long weekend. It's the Tuesday that feels like a Monday. And of course, uh, tragedy on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, Manchester, England. What are what's the casualty update? Is it twenty one, Brett? Is that right? Uh, in terms of dead, yes, uh, it is twenty two people killed and fifty nine injured in that situation at the uh, at the arena in Manchester, England. We're talking about what ramifications does this have? In our part of the world, at events at Investors Group Field, MTS Center, and others, I've got a text here. Uh, Tim says, St. Norbert Farmer's Market had hundreds of people in a confined space, open confined space, uh, zero security. I was a little weary. People think it can't happen here, and that's, that is true. Unfortunately, there is a little bit of that, isn't there, Brett, that idea that uh, these are things that happen elsewhere. Well, there is, I think it's almost impossible to, to ignore that kind of notion that, well, you know, we're... We're in Winnipeg. It's we're not in a. It's not I, not to downplay Winnipeg, but but in terms of the major global metropolises, I wouldn't think of Winnipeg being near the top of the list. But you know, I never wouldn't have thought that about Manchester outside of soccer, or, and this is I do not mean this as a knock in any way against Manchester, but outside of soccer, that's the only time I ever hear of Manchester. Right, right. right. You're a hundred percent accurate. So there may be some correlation there and maybe that heightens the concern somewhat uh, donovan's been waiting patiently at 204-780-6868 donovan what's your comment uh, uh this day after this uh terrorist attack in england well first of all i'd like to say i love you guys show i listen to it daily um i guess my concern is you know yeah i feel safe in winnipeg at, at any sort of gathering or concert uh, or anywhere in canada for that matter for the most part but but I mean, time and time again, we've learned, uh, even, you know, the marathon bombing that happened in Boston, how do you control something like, even if you have a bomb-sniffing dog or police on presence, I think it's going to help people feel a little more secure. But if there's somebody with explosives strapped to themselves, standing in a lineup, and there's a dog ahead of them, what's going to stop him from setting it off? And in reality, 
can you really stop this stuff from happening when people are extremists like this? I mean, you can put up all the safety you want, quite honestly. And, and time and time again, we see with security, uh, whether it be in Paris or anywhere else where people are driving vehicles, you know, into people. I don't think you can be that prepared. And I think people have to go on with their lives either way and and just hope for the best. I mean, can you really spend this much money on security for every single event? Um, you know, maybe it's going to help. Maybe it's going to make people feel safer when they see that police presence. But at the end of the day, I have to say, I, I disagree with the fact that that can really help. If somebody really is aiming to do something, they are going to do it. Thank you, Donovan. You know? Yeah, I appreciate your your thought on that. I the more obstacles we put in uh, into b- the bad guy or bad girl's way, I think the better. Mm-hmm. Clearly, uh, you know, outside of an airport, these arenas and stadiums are really the only places I can think of where you're subject to search. You're subject to going through a metal detector, a place where you might have 10, 15, 20, 60, 80,000 people gathered together. There are metal detectors there and at airports, and that's about it. And as far as we know at this point, we understand it that this bomb went off outside what would be considered the normal security perimeter. There's no confirmation necessarily on that, but that's what we're led to believe that this took place at the end of the concert when people were leaving in an area that wouldn't have been a screening area traditionally in this facility. And that once again, that's, that's another part of the whole question, the whole comprehension of the security plan, right? Do, Do we extend the border? Do we extend the area that is a secure zone. If you go to a National Football League game, that security area does not start at the gates. It starts well into the parking lot. There's a perimeter that they've set up around NFL football stadiums. It's uh, 10, 20, 30 meters uh, before you're you know, officially in the venue. You get in the venue before you even can see the, the gate that you're going to enter into. So that, that, that is part of it as well. Bob is at 204-780-6868. Bob, what do you have to say about this? Yeah, we you know we try to solve these problems from the outside in with security forces and governments and military buildup. And the closest you'll come to a solution with these kind of situations is from the inside out. And that's literally, we are our brother and sister's keepers. We need to observe what's going on in our neighborhoods. And we need to reverse this whole anti-rat, anti-squeal, anti-cattletail syndrome that causes people not to report any deviant behavior, unusual behavior that they observe. And it starts in pre-kindergarten when we tell kids not to be a tattletale. That's a good point, Bob. In New York, I don't know if you've been to New York since 9-11, but there are signs everywhere. And the slogan is, if you see something, say something. And the, the first line of defense is genuinely the public and observation of what others around you are doing. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. We appreciate the we appreciate the feedback at 204-780-6868. And p- please feel free to offer your feedback. You can email 
Brett at CJOB.com. That's spelled B-R-E-T-T at CJOB.com. Or GMAC at CJOB.com. That's spelled G-M-A-C-K at CJOB.com. We are getting a lot of text messages. We are getting a lot of uh, emails as well. And I, I got a text here that I want to read from somebody. And anytime something like this happens, you, you there we get a lot of this stuff. Just heard on the radio that this bomber was born in England, but his parent immigrated from Libya years ago to escape their country. There you go. Trudeau is letting these same type of people into Canada, and he is doing nothing about the security. They are crossing illegally, and even if they are crossing legally, what is to say that their children will not become terrorists? Trudeau should wake up. That's an email that was sent to me. Uh, from Christina at Brett at CJOB.com. Whether or not I agree with what you have to say, we do appreciate your feedback here at 680 CJOB. Because anytime that an incident like this happens, we got this is the kind of rhetoric that we hear from a lot. And there are it, these types of events do create that sort of fear. And we would like to hear your thoughts at 204-780-6868. And by reading this message, in no, way, in no way am I suggesting you should be scared. And when you have these events, and one of the things that I wanted to touch on, Greg, was how Kevin Donnelly at True North Sports and Entertainment was saying they do have evacuation plans as part of, for example, I think that he said as part of fire protocol. If there's a fire, they have an evacuation plan. But he said we would need people to follow instructions of the staff. And I was watching video of... Somebody had captured and posted it to Twitter, the panic that was happening as people were trying to get through the the entrance that leads from the arena back into the concourse. So you can, this is any arena. It could I mean, this was specific to Manchester, but this could be MTS Center. It could be the old barn. They're all the same. They have these sort of bottleneck entrances scattered throughout the arena. And this person is smack in the middle of everybody trying to rush out. You've got teenage girls hopping the railing and just falling on each other. They were like insects crawling over top of each other. It was it was scary. Well, and when you imagine, depending on this is all going to sort itself out in terms of the details of what happened, but it may turn out, and I would never blame any victim of any sort of sickening crime like this uh, for their own demise, but it may have turned out that, in uh, ironically, uh, and that may be the wrong word as well. Tragically, the safest place might have been for everyone just to stay in their seats. Yeah, that's actually, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that because once the, everybody panicked, started stampeding. Your instinct is to run for the exit. You're also, your your psychological instinct is to go to where you came in. That's why on an airplane, they remind you about emergency exits, and they also take that extra step of suggesting that you may want to look behind you because the safest place and the closest emergency exit may in fact be one or two or three rows behind you. And the default human condition tells you to go to where you know, where you're familiar, and that's to where you where you came in, and that might not always be the safest route out. And in a tragedy like that, these... These terrorists are conniving. They study their plans. There was a report that there was, in fact, a a suspicious package that was detonated 
on the Metro outside of the arena last night. And we heard that outside of the, the Euro Cup games in Germany when there was the bomb outside the stadium, that there were other bombs planted in what a bit would have been natural escape routes for people inside the stadium. These people are vicious. They're planning to maximize their actions. And uh, quite often, you have to keep your head. It's, it's a horrible thing to be in the middle of, and I have no idea what it would be like. But the idea of listening and really taking stock of where you are is critical in any emergency situation. And uh, I just, my heart is just broken for the parents and the victims of this thing. It's, it's sickening to imagine that we're now at the point where there's no doubt in my mind this, this arena, this event was targeted to hit at the core of people's values and the idea that, that there would be youngsters, young people at this event, and 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 that was part of why it was selected. It makes me absolutely ill. Yeah, two of the uh, the victims who have been identified by friends and family. One of them is an eighteen year old girl who was. There was a photo of her on Instagram, pictured with Ariana Grande. She was able to meet Ariana Grande at one point in the past. Uh, so a big fan. Another girl, an eight year old girl, going to a concert is one of the the victims of this attack. It is 1.47. We are going to have a look at your forecast and then switch gears and speak with 680 CJOB's Bob Irving about some football. All up next. 1.51, Tuesday afternoon, in case you have to reset the whole clock based on the long weekend. A man who will not have a long weekend probably until December joins us now, the voice of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the legendary uh, voice of the Blue Bombers. Bob Irving joins us. And Bob, uh, we are on the eve of rookie training camp and just four days away from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, 2017 training camp. Kyle Walters addressed the media uh, gathered at IGF this morning. What did uh, Mr. Walters have to say in advance of training camp? Well, Greg, he had a lot to say, which was, was good because we don't get to hear from Kyle very often. It was interesting listening to him today. One of, about halfway through his address to the media, he, he said this is an excruciating experience. He doesn't like, I mean, Kyle's very well spoken. He's a very smart guy. He handles it beautifully, but he would rather stay in the background. So we hear from him before the season. We hear a statement from him at the end of the season, and two or three times during the season, we're able to talk him into coming on our pregame show on one of our broadcasts, but he likes to stay in the background. But today, uh, he was very forthcoming in discussing the upcoming camp, and this will be the fourth one under his full-time guidance. Now, and I guess the bottom line was, uh, Greg, he said, we don't have as many holes to fill as we've had in the past. And I think that's kind of been the theme of the Bomber offseason. They come back this year with a real good core of players. The hope of Kyle Walters and Michael Shea and really every team in the league is that some of these new players you've signed, including your draft picks will come in here and push the veterans to the point where they'll push a veteran to the side. Not that you want to get rid of any proven players, but if you find some young guy who is as good or maybe going to be better then you've had some success in your recruitment process. So as the bombers hit the field tomorrow with about 47 players in the rookie camp, they're hoping that the competition level will be such that the veterans, the core of these players I talked about coming back, won't feel the least bit comfortable. 
This time last year, Drew Willie was the number one quarterback, and it turned out that the answer to the Blue Bombers quarterback issue uh, laid number two in their depth chart. Is there anybody else like that, maybe at another position, Bob, where, oh, yeah, he's been number two, he's been hanging around, this might be the year he makes a move to claim a starting job? You know, there's nobody uh, from last year's team, Greg, that that leaps to mind for me in that regard. They've added some free agents who I think will step in and be an improvement over what they had before. But again, this is what training camp will reveal. There was a player, I should think, Kieran Duncan was here last year. Uh, He's a receiver, kick returner. He was on the practice roster for a few weeks, never got a chance to play. But he really looked good in the mini camp. So there's one guy who might come in and, and grab a spot. Uh, they have another receiver. Uh, his name is Thorpe, and he was at uh, rookie camp and, and acquitted himself quite well. And they like him a lot. So will he come in and push Clarence Denmark and maybe knock him off? There's a couple of guys who I guess would fit that mold. Uh, linebacker and maybe still some questions in the defensive backfield. Uh, in my mind, what about you, Bob? Where, where, What holes oh, yeah. are we looking to fill? Well, middle linebacker is the biggest one, Greg. There's no doubt about it. That's where Khalil Bass played last year. And so either Kyle Knox or Nick Temple would, would appear to be the, the player who will take that spot. But again, who knows? Maybe one of the newcomers will will show enough to, to win that position. And the secondary, you know, they've got lots of veterans back there. But I think they'd like, again, to have one of these new guys come in and say, hey, I'm better than what you got. I, I think that's an area where they, you know, they wouldn't mind seeing some improvement. I, I think it's okay. The secondary is okay. Uh, but if they could have a, a rookie come in and steal a spot, that would uh, be nothing but good news for them. Bob, what are you sort of gathering from fans heading into this season in terms of level of excitement? The reason I ask you this is because we uh, we have our program open with uh, all of our text messages to come in to 204-780-6868. And we are, the last few weeks since we've been giving away these uh, season tickets, we are overwhelmed with people who want these tickets. So it seems just from where we're sitting that people are excited. Well, there's tremendous optimism. I, I hear it everywhere I go from people, whereas in past years, the last four years anyway, there was kind of doom and gloom over the franchise, and people are going, oh, I hope the Bombers win a few games this year, and that sort of thing. I'm not hearing that at all now. After what happened last year, the 11-7 and record, the first uh, trip to the playoffs in five years, there's tremendous optimism. I guess I would say... Uh, Brett, that the fans maybe need to temper that just a little bit. Nothing wrong with being optimistic and positive, uh, but it's not going to be easy in the West. The West is going to be super tough this year with BC, Calgary, and Edmonton all looking solid, and Saskatchewan a bit of a wild card. They will be improved, though, for sure. So as much as the Bombers come off a good year and head into 2017 with a really solid-looking roster, uh, hey, there's teams in the West that you know, that look equally as good. A lot of people from prognosticators I'm hearing from have the Bombers pick for third behind Calgary and BC. We'll see how that plays out. Lots of reason for optimism, but I would say just temper it a wee bit. I was with some folks yesterday who said their favorite time of year is upon us. They get to hear Bob Irving on CJOB pretty much every <laughs> single day. That's uh, no bull. Bob, you know I don't uh, blow smoke up uh, any part of your uh, anatomy. So this is uh, this is uh, coming from a lot of people that are excited about the Bombers and the fact that we'll be hearing more of you. Uh, when does the coaches show start? Not to put you on the spot. Yeah, well, the daily coaches show, which will run at 445, starts Next Monday, the second day of full training camp, and then the weekly coaches show, the Monday night show from 7 to 8, 
will start the Monday after the first preseason game. June the 12th will be the date of that first show with Mike O'Shea. Of course he's prepared. Of course he knows it. He's the man. He's the legend. He may be even a little bit of a myth. Bob Irving. Thanks, Bob. A lot of a myth, as a matter of fact. (laughs) (laughs) And modest after all these years. Bob Irving joining us. Uh, Blue Bombers uh, getting uh, rookie camp underway tomorrow and then full camp on the 28th. And if my math is correct, that tells me it's Sunday. It is coming up to time for Global News at 2 o'clock and 680 CJOB. 2.05 Tuesday afternoon. He's Brett. I'm Greg. Took a pause there to visit with uh, Bob Irving to give us a little bit of a preview of what to look at. Blue Marmon training camp getting underway in earnest on uh, Sunday, uh, but the rookies report tomorrow, and uh, then that's it. We're into Blue Bomber season, hopefully right through until the end of November, as the Blue Bombers quest, not to remind anybody, no, the a 20, 27-year drought without a Grey Cup, 1990, the last time the Blue Bombers brought home a Canadian Football League championship. Can you just correct me if I'm wrong in this, but I, I think I heard, and maybe this is just anecdotal, but I, I thought I heard that it's actually statistically impossible for a league with, with the number of teams that are in the league for the Bombers to go as long as they have without winning the championship. You know what? I haven't gone through the record book lately, but my gut tells me every other team has won it at least twice in those 27 years. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure. I think Ottawa might be the exception to that. Okay. Uh, winning uh, the Grey Cup, yeah, because I think their last one would have been in 1976 okay. against Saskatchewan. So now Ottawa has won, and of course they were away from the league for a little while. So uh, yeah, you could be right. I'd love to have a statistician <laughs> compile it and figure out exactly what the uh, statistical likelihood would be of the Blue Bombers not winning over the course of 27 years. A majority of the time that league, uh, the Canadian Football League in question was... Eight teams, not even nine. <laughs> of course, they made it to the big dance several times, but just not have uh, managed to uh, to bring home a championship. A lot more of what uh, people are talking about today surrounds the events in Manchester. Last night, the Ariana Grande concert where 22 people were killed, uh, many of them young uh, we've, we're seeing an eight-year-old picture of an eight-year-old who actually met Ariana Grande before the concert, who was killed and uh, 59 injured. And we could argue millions of people have been scarred by this. Mm-hmm. Many people are angry and we're getting text messages from people who who want things to change dramatically. Ryan says, it's funny we are so afraid to condone violence, that we are afraid to address issues in a way that makes sense. How many times does this have to happen and how close to home does it need to be before we start going after those guys who are laughing at us today? Uh, more text messages here. And let me just, sorry, and we, we are, I, in case you caught it earlier, I was talking to Bob about all the text messages coming in from people trying to get in on the Blue Bomber season tickets that we are giving away. So we are having to sort of funnel through a number of those text messages to get through to the other messages. Here's one from Chuck. So did Donald Trump say what we all think when something like this happens? Do we need to limit immigration from countries where terrorists live? Do we need to tighten our borders? Do we need to actually shut our borders until we have an infrastructure in place to vet these immigrants thoroughly? Was Donald Trump right? And did we all disagree just because 
He's the Donald, even though Barack Obama said basically the same thing when he was in office. Let's forget the politics of it. We need to ask our government to do their job and do whatever is necessary to keep my grandchildren safe and screw political correctness. Again, that text from Chuck. Just trying to weigh in here. Do you even think or make a notion that we could stop all of these attacks from happening as naive? I agree with being cautious, and I think the biggest thing is being aware of your surroundings, but we cannot live in fear. That's a very common sentiment as well, is that if you live in fear, uh, then uh, terrorism genuinely wins. Now, I got a te- an email earlier. I just want to read this because there was a text that that refers to it directly, and this was an email from Christina. Uh, just heard on the radio that this bomber was born in England, but his parent immigrated from Libya years ago to escape their country. There you go. Trudeau is letting these same type of people into Canada, and he is doing nothing about the security. They are crossing illegally, and even if they are crossing legally, what is to say that their children will not become terrorists? Trudeau should wake up. So again, that's an email from Christina. This text, 204-780-6868, says, I agree with that email writer. Why do you defend when a certain group... And I'm sorry, I'm reading this cold. There are some typos here, so forgive me. Why do you defend when a certain group that does this, I don't see Japanese or Chinese or Ukrainians of second generation, people of immigration doing this, just one certain group? Again, we are, when we read these texts, we're not endorsing. We're just reading what is coming in. And a lot of times we don't agree with the feedback that we get, but we wanted to share it because... For better or worse, this is what many are thinking today. And it's a part of the difficult conversation that arises anytime there is something like this that happens. I think the National Virology Lab, which holds some of the world's biggest threats, we can't be written off as a minimally threatened place. I think that's an outstanding point made there that Winnipeg is important, I think, sometimes in ways that none of us really think of. Yep. And that we could imagine. So uh, that's one point there. Not to give uh, anybody any ideas out there. That's for darn sure. And I think that was probably in, in response to, to my saying, you know, I would like to think that Winnipeg is, just not to say that we're this nothing little place, but that we're not at the top of the list when it comes to terrorists looking at places to attack. But that is an excellent point, and this is why we open the conversation up to you at 204-780-6868, because we can't possibly think of everything. That's why. That's where you join the conversation. Geez, the Muslims have been changing the lives of the Western world. I'm not comfortable with mass Muslim immigration into our country. Homegrown or refugee tourism, the common denominator is their submission to the that radical Muslim religion. Of the 1.6 billion Muslims in the world, 300 million are radicals. Okay, well, I shouldn't have read that one because there's no proof of that. Yeah, go ahead and tell me which ones are radical. The most effective way to deal with the threat of Islamic terrorism in this country is to stop letting any Muslim into our country. Simple arithmetic. The less Muslims we have, the less threat of having a terrorist. And uh, you're more than welcome to send me uh, an article that would uh, confirm your assertion that there are 300 million radical Muslims on the planet. Uh, please send it uh, to gmac at cjob.com. Ryan has sent a number of text messages here. Uh, they have, he says, they've been monitoring 
internet happenings, but now we need to crack down and go after those who spread this garbage and go after them with ooh, with lethal force. I'm not sure what he is referring to. So I and that's a there's see again part of the problem when we we go sort of go through these texts is they just come in fast and furious. And I think Ryan has sent a number of text messages, and I would have to go back to the beginning of. What he, yeah, oh boy, he sent us a lot of text messages. So I read that out of order. My apologies. It's so sad what we as humans have come to be. The world is so corrupt. We all need to wake up and realize what we are doing to each other and the planet. We need a mass enlightenment for peace. Very sad what has happened and what continues to happen. Here's another comment. It doesn't matter if we shut the borders. They will find ways to get us if they really want. And I think that goes back to, was it Donovan who called at 204-780 at 68-68 and said, look, you can, you can add all the security protocols in place outside any arena in response to the press conference that was held by uh, Kevin Donnelly with True North Sports and Entertainment and Winnipeg Police Constable Rob Carver talking about how they are going, to, they, they are always working with industry leaders, security leaders, law enforcement officials to, to come up with the best ways to make places like MTS Center Secure. But Donovan was saying, look, you can do everything. You can bring in all the, the bomb-sniffing dogs you want, but if somebody really wants to accomplish something nefarious, like a suicide bombing, they will find a way to make it happen. So this text this sort of echoes that, well, maybe we should shut the borders. Well, if we even if we did shut the borders and people wanted to isn't commit that, an attack. Isn't that what we do in essence with these security perimeters around places like MTS Center and other places that we hold events, we create an artificial border, mm-hmm. one that's even stricter. There are not there are not metal detectors uh, at Emerson. There are not metal detectors. If you're going outside of the port of entry is what I'm saying. If people are intent in getting into our country, that's one thing. And I understand the point of the texter. But at an event like a hockey game, like a concert, there's as much security there as there is at an airport. Some of the most securest places anywhere on the planet. And And things still happen, manage to happen. And I think of nightclubs. I've been going to nightclubs since I'm 39 now, almost since I was 18. I think actually they have had metal detectors in place since I turned 18. Don't you have to give them your... Driver's license too, and don't they take a picture of that? Yeah, they've been doing that forever. Now they they because they're not only scanning to see if your ID is fake, but they're also scanning to just get your picture, and then that then they check their master list to see if you've been banned, and they pat you down, and you have to walk through the 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 this sort of stationary metal detector, and then if it goes off after you've emptied your pockets, then they give you the wand. So there are you're right, there are very few places that treat you like that. They used to do that in movie theaters as well, but I think that's because they were looking for, uh, not all the time, just for like the special, like if you have win passes to go see it at the advanced screening on a Wednesday night, the movie opens Friday, they would often use the wand, but I think they were looking for recording equipment more oh, than anything. interesting. They don't do that anymore, at least not in Winnipeg from what I can tell. 216 on 680 CJOB. We're going to pause the conversation and look at the forecast, which is up next. Lots of text messages at 7806868, but we also have Todd, who's been waiting patiently on the phone line. Todd, please uh, go ahead. Welcome to Mackling and McGarry. Hello, hello. Boys, 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 we have a problem. I mean, this is a worldwide problem. This isn't just 
for us in Canada. This is this is all over the world. And you know what? If the Ukraine's let's say Ukrainian people came here and did this, what would we do? I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump, but he was onto something when he said he would bomb the poop out of them. I mean, what do we do? I mean, it, it's it's a global issue that's affecting the world, not just like it, it affects the world, and it is Muslims. And, and if it was Ukrainians, I'd say it's Ukrainians. I mean, it's simple as that. So, I mean, we have to take the bull by the horns here, and they, they really have to use, like, a, a, a good strike. Do you, I don't know. I don't see any other way out of it. On who and where, Todd? On the who and where? I guess wherever it originated. Wherever ISIS originated and wherever they are. Like, I know that like they're, they're, they've infiltrated our country, right? And they've infiltrated all these countries. So, I mean, how, I don't even know how to start, like, to sort it out. Other than, you know, you fight fire with fire. That's, that's the way it is, right? Well, I think if you'd ask uh, relatives, and, and Todd, that you're, that's your, that's your absolute right to have your, your opinion on it, and I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Ukrainians, though. There are uh, thousands of Ukrainians in this community that have relatives somewhere along the line that were incarcerated during the general strike of 1919, that were incarcerated during World War II because they yeah. were views, viewed as enemies of the state. Yeah, I get that. And you know what? And I remember, like, uh, there's over 10 million of them starved. I, I, I remember reading this. Uh, you know, they're starved to death. I'm talking about here in Canada. In Canada. Okay, go ahead. Let's, you know, that they, they, were, they were viewed as subversive and part of the extreme left as part of uh, the, going to be the radicalization of Canada. And many people were, were arrested without any cause. Uh, during the general strike of 1919, and they were also, as I mentioned, put in, in camps during World War II, as were Japanese Canadians and other, the Dukabors in British Columbia, other groups that were deemed dangerous. Is that the road that you want to go down here in Canada, Todd? I, I'm just trying well, to figure out where I you stand. I just don't know what the answer. I don't know what the answer is, and I and I am Ukrainian, by the way. My 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 parents, my dad came from Ukraine, and my mother came from Norway, my grand, great-grandparents, actually, but, you know, but I just don't, I don't see, you know, I just don't know how we can ever fix this now. Like, who has an answer for that? I sure wouldn't want to be, you know, captain of that ship. No, it's, it's, a, it's a tough uh, job without question, Todd. I appreciate your insight. We certainly agree on that one, my friend. Cheers. Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Todd, for the call at 204-780-6868. And I think that's the... That's the easy sort of gut reaction, right? Let's just bomb them and destroy them. Bomb them and destroy them. That's the whole point. They're, they don't wear a uniform in typical cases. They're undeclared enemies. Well, and another part of the problem as well, when it comes to the, the radical aspect of this, is radicalization can happen anywhere in the globe, and it's not, it's not, an, it's not an institution. It's, a, it's sort of a, a mentality that kind of gets... I don't know if you want to see bread, but it can be taught to people from the, the time that they're kids. Like it's, it's a mentality that it's not a bomb is not going to eliminate overnight a mentality because, I mean, Islamic State, that's just popped up in the last few years, right? Before it was Al Qaeda, the Taliban. It, it's, it's almost like a hydra. You know, you cut off one head, two more emerge. Well, some would argue that this is born out of that mentality, 
of the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s is just to bomb certain individuals, per, certain groups into submission. And then that this very well may the, be the fruit of that labor. I'm not going to say one way or the other, but there are many who suggest that. We have conflicting text messages side by side here. Do you want to read those, Brett? One from Faye, which I think is excellent. And uh, Bert has a, a point as well that is uh, no less equal of our, uh, of our attention. Faye says, now, and this is in response to some of the text messages and emails that we've been reading this afternoon. Faye says, what kind of banjo-plucking BS are you guys reading today? Perhaps it's time to suggest to your many listeners that they pick up a history book and take a good hard look at what kind of effect banning any race, religion, etc. has on society. Banning Muslims from Canada is the most ridiculous and bigoted suggestion out there. Thank you, Faye. Hey guys, what is the Canadian vetting procedure? Upon the interview process, they declare they are not terrorists. Who is to know? Their homeland is so war-torn, I'm sure they have little or no paperwork on all their citizens. That's from Bert. At 204-780-6868. Thank you very much for your text. Um, oh, or is... I'm just looking at the, the history here. This uh, Previously on that same number, it's Herb. Is it Bert or is it Herb? Let us know. It. <laughs> Bert slash Herb. So we can update your contact information uh, for when you text us again. We do appreciate all the feedback. Email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com, and on the phone and on text at 204-780-6868. Todd called, so the white guy who blew up the mosque, was he Ukrainian, Polish, European descent? Yes. Anyone can be radicalized. Walls, bans are not the solution. The IRA was a problem, correct? All white and Christian. The FLQ could have been a huge white problem too. I don't bomb innocent people in response. That's from Trina in Bozeshire. Trina, thank you so much for your feedback. At 204-780-6868. And we are going to switch gears after Global News at 2.30 and talk about a group called Funding Change. They want to change the way that raffles are done and make it so that you can do it with technology, do it a lot easier with technology. And we will speak to them after Global News at 2.30 on 680 CJOB. It's like old home week every week here at 680 CJOB. Winnipeg, that one degree of situation, separation, pardon me, situation in the studio right now is Ian Smith is here along with uh, Nicholas Tenzin. They are, gentlemen, three of the main individuals behind something called Funding Change. Welcome to the studio, gentlemen, and congratulations on creating something that I think a lot of people, and these are the best ideas in my mind, that go, you mean we didn't have this before? Yeah. Is that the re- reaction a lot of people give you, Ian? Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. They they kind of like it's about time, you know. We sort of joke raffles for the 21st century. It's uh, uh, since the printing press, we've been doing raffles the same way. So feel feel like it's about time to to change it up a little bit. And so yeah, it's it, there's definitely been a warm welcome in the uh, the nonprofit community for sure. So how did this come about, this idea that you use technology to ha- host a raffle or have a raffle rather than the traditional way that we know about buying an actual paper ticket? Pure laziness, to be honest. I was at a Jets game and uh, um, went looking for a 50-50 uh, kiosk or someone selling a 50-50, couldn't find one. So, you know, uh, having not having the ability to, to buy one in within you know 10 seconds nowadays, my generation means that uh, there's got to be a better way. So... 
uh, just thought, well, you know, why can't I do this from my, my seat in, at the arena and from my phone? And that just started me on a path to, to talk to the regulator here in the province and uh, uh, ch- chat a little bit with them about what's going on and, and then got to the, uh, the, the point where we found out that, yeah, this is something that um, we can do eventually. The, the law had to change, which we were talking to the Liquor and Gaming Authority before the law changed. When the law changed, we were already on it and therefore we started building the platform and uh, and ended up, uh, I guess, about a year later from that uh, in market and, uh, perf- yeah, allowing nonprofits to perform raffles. So. Uh, Nicholas, uh, talk about the, how uh, empowering that must be to be at the front end, the leading edge of the change, and maybe even influencing it and suggesting, hey, there's a different way to do this. We know the law is this way now. Would you consider taking it a different way and being at the forefront of that? that that's powerful testimony to maybe your influence and and the way you sold this uh, this idea. Yeah, it has been really interesting working with the regulators here. And um, first of all, yeah, to be able to bring to something to market that is so useful to the nonprofit community, we're really excited about that. And then having worked with the liquor and gaming, you know, people get to give the government a bad rap, but uh, they're really there to serve the nonprofits, and we found that through the process. So we were able to dialogue with them and... Uh, um, yeah, really bring hopefully a full solution to market, and yeah, they were they've been uh, pretty good to work with. So yeah, it's uh, it's been enjoyable. So when you guys started this process, Nick, uh, the, it was still uh, the the rules did not allow for this, right? When uh, when we first had the idea, yeah, there is a it was a criminal code, um, archaic criminal code issue, and uh, so. Obviously, you can't get around that, but uh, apparently somebody in Ontario who had um, petitioned, lobbied the government, the federal government, to make an exception in that law change, in that law, which therefore opened it up and allowed us to uh, do what we're doing now. So uh, Manitoba, in fact, is one of the early adopters of this um, law change, and they were right on it, changing policy, and maybe we help push them to finish that policy because we were right on their heels developing the product. So, Ian, uh, you and I know each other uh, once upon a time from another industry where government has its hand and that there are archaic rules, and that would be the the restaurant business. But we've seen a a change over the last couple of decades in Manitoba. Some rules have become a little bit more strict, but others have eased up in an acknowledgement that, you know, times are changing. So that that has to be a positive thing. Mm -hmm. How do you take this now? And now that you've been at the forefront of this change, and how do you market it to, to the broader uh, public and the institutions and the organizations that are going to ultimately benefit from this technology. Yeah, well, you know, it's we started out just by old school cold calling into nonprofits and saying hi, and this is our idea. And the nonprofit community was really accessible, opened uh, themselves up to to hearing about the idea. Now that it's developed, and we've run some raffles, we've got out there, we formed some partnerships. Uh, uh, Hockey Manitoba, for instance, and uh, and so uh, basically, our word, the word's getting out, and so you know we've, we've had now we've kind of gone on a little bit of a marketing campaign. We were kind of underneath the radar for a while, perfecting you know from a restaurant analogy, you want to perfect the cooking before you open the doors. So yeah, just just making sure that uh, we knew how to 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 service our clients, and uh, um, you know we're learning as we go as well because uh, it's a new industry. So now uh, we've sort of opened that up. We've done a marketing campaign, kind of got our name out there, and so we're starting people will start to see us more and more in the public and uh, running running raffles, working with other organizations and expanding our reach. And, uh, and of course, outside of Manitoba as well, there's opportunities. So we're looking to expand 
to Saskatchewan. We're licensed in Saskatchewan now. We're just looking to uh, step into that province. Um, we're in process with uh, British Columbia. So the federal criminal code opened it up across Canada. Every province regulates it uh, the individually themselves, but we're looking to expand across the provinces. So um, it's just about getting our name out there and, and uh, helping nonprofits be successful. Hopefully the success of the nonprofits will speak for themselves. Well, and you got a big endorsement from one of the biggest nonprofits, the United Way, mm-hmm. saying after they sort of tested this out that uh, I think the quote was, my team and I would never want to go back to manual. <laughs> So that's got right. to pump your tires a little bit? Yeah, it, it does. Absolutely. Um, you know, that I worked for years in the nonprofit uh, world, and I was a, a consultant in, in more of the sort of the marketing standpoint. But uh, it's the same thing everywhere. Is there's lots of vision, and there's lots of important work to be done. But there's oftentimes a lack of resources to get it done. And then you add on top of that the desire or the need to raise money and spend time raising money for that nonprofit. Now you put on top of that the budget climate we're seeing in this province for nonprofits and sports teams and changes in you know the, what what I used to take advantage of in sports teams with going to bingos and getting you know bingo revenue for a baseball team. Like all these changes are happening. And so we just felt it was a great opportunity for nonprofits to exactly do exactly that. Raise more money with less work. And and for sure what we've heard from people is that it's just a lot less work to do it this way. And why wouldn't it? You know, you don't have paper tickets uh, kicking around in your office for three years. And, uh, you know, there's there's not a ton of chasing people for the tickets and the money and all the things that go along with raffles. So anyone that's out there that is uh, uh, has run a raffle is nodding their head in their car or anywhere they are <laughs> because they know exactly what we're talking about. And that's what we see when we go and talk to clients. Uh, you talk to the people who manage the raffles and they go, oh, finally, this is this is what we needed. So yeah. I think the United Way quote probably represents a lot of other nonprofits as well saying the same thing. So. That's the voice of Ian Smith. Nick, Nick Tenson is here as well, CFO. Funding change they are uh, bringing to light and sharing with us today their story of how they brought this idea to life, an online raffling uh, opportunity. It's a game changer. And uh, this is really doing not only an incredible thing for nonprofits, but from the side that Brett and I like to attack these stories on the entrepreneurship side, because we know that in Manitoba, from time to time, uh, there are ideas that don't come to market because there aren't people investing in mm-hmm. those great ideas. We know that the mm-hmm. the climate is changing for that. Angel investing is something that you've been the benefactor of. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Even before we get there, I want to I, I want to give a big shout out to Northforge. So there's a business incubator that is run by the province, uh, uh, or not, sorry, not run by the province, but it's a, a, a provincial initiative as well called Northforge. And they provide mentorship uh, right from the basically the idea stage till, uh, well, till to. Well, we're still in touch with them. <laughs> we we still cry out for help every once in a while. Hey, let's, right. you know, can you can you give us some insight here? So um, they've been an incredible. Jeff Risner and his team over there have been an incredible, incredible resource. And so yes. I would just encourage any entrepreneur. Uh, you've got resources out there when you want to step out and do something. But uh, yeah, absolutely. And then there's been a very supportive uh, angel investment community here. We've been hooked up with very strategic investors, great, great business people, and uh, mm-hmm. and who've who've not just you know obviously brought finances to the table, but a wealth of knowledge and insight and support to us in this journey. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been an amazing ride that way, but, uh, yeah, the people are out there. If you have an idea, they're certainly out there in Manitoba that, that will help. Nick, when we talk about angel investors, what, what does that term mean? That angel investor what is that? Because that, that one struck me as a term that I don't know that I've ever actually heard before today. So, okay. Yeah. Well, if you've ever prayed, I hope an angel comes and helps you out in a time of need. <laughs> That's, right. That's literally what it is. They, uh, 
uh, uh, conventional lending uh, will judge you based on your business plan and your time and market, your revenue, all of these hard numbers that exist to date. And an angel investor will push that aside, say, yes, this is important, but not as important as your idea. So tell me about your idea. And um, the ones with vision that are in line with those causes will say, yeah, uh, let's let's do that. We'll support you. And, um, and they've just yeah, they've been a big help so far. So. Yeah. Ian, what you were talking about uh, with North Forge, and and I think in terms of the angel investment, yeah, the money's important, but making that connection with people that have been there. And we talk about mentorship all the time on this program. Uh, It's such a powerful relationship to connect with someone who's been there before. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I think sometimes, you know, when you you see the the shark tanks of this world or you read stuff about Silicon Valley, you think that uh, these entrepreneurs are, are 10 feet tall and bulletproof and I mean, and I know from my journey is there's, there's many a day you wake up and you just think, what are we going to you know, What are we going to do now? And we need someone with some guidance, some answers, someone who's been there before, or even just someone to go, it's going to be okay. There's always an answer. And so uh, just having that support is, is incredible. It has been incredible for us, um, for me personally as well. And so that's where that mentorship piece comes just to know you have someone else in your corner who you can go to, to ask and you're not in, you know, fighting the world alone is huge. And so uh, from, from that standpoint, North Forge has just been brilliant for us. It's just been uh, amazing. We would, just wouldn't be here without them, honestly. You know, it's a, such a cliche, but it's true. Ian Smith, Nick Tenzin, they're with Funding Change, bringing raffles from the printing press to your personal device. And we'll continue the chat after your forecast, which is up next. When you have one of the two couch potatoes at your disposal, <laughs> you do not, not take advantage of that. Yeah. Who is, who is that, Eliza? Eliza Dushku. Dushku. I believe she may have been on Buffy way back in the day, uh, okay. and she's done all sorts of stuff. I recognize the name. Yeah. Wasn't she's sure hot. if I was saying it right. There we go. <laughs> An honest <laughs> assessment from Brett McGarry, one yeah. of the two coach potatoes. We are uh, visiting with, uh, well, a longtime friend for me, Ian Smith, Nick Ted. Tensden is, uh, sorry, is I saying that right, Nick? Yeah, Tensden. Uh, he is the CFO funding change. Uh, they are a game-changing operation for nonprofits here in Winnipeg. They are taking that onerous task that a lot of nonprofit organizations have that's manual, paper tickets for raffles. They're bringing it online. And is this a first in Canada now that the law has been changed? Have you got some competition in this space, Ian? Yeah, well... We like to think that, well, we like to think we're the smartest guys in Canada and came up with this earlier <laughs> than everybody else. There's definitely some other uh, organizations out there, though not not that we've seen the doing it exactly like we're doing it, and certainly not in Manitoba. Uh, and uh, frankly, when we talk to the regulators, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people in this space right now. Um, and uh, and where we're probably starting to lean into is actually competing with some, some of the other guys, the more traditional players in the space, like um, some of the, the organizations that do... Um, raffles at events like sporting events and things like that where with the the physical tickets um you know uh were, were exactly what i was looking for when i was at the jets game for instance so uh but right now no there's there's definitely an opening in the market and uh, we're looking to, to take advantage of it right now and, and get this technology to nonprofits. so nick what about wedding socials there is this going to be a part of what you do we would love to be able to host that but currently the uh, provincial um interpretation of the law is not allowing for that yeah. Yet. 
yet. <laughs> These guys don't take no for an answer, right? Yeah. Uh, it is what it is for now. Right. And so, uh, you know, if enough people start asking for this, you, you just never know. What is the concern yeah. though, there? Can you share that with us? Have they expressed a reason for a concern as to, to why they wouldn't approve this for wedding socials? The federal exception uh, in legalese states uh, certain particulars and some vague phrases, then it's really up to the provinces, their flavor um, or their their ability to take a risk on their interpretation of the gray area to make it favorable or non-favorable, and every province will take a different position. And to play it safe, some of the gray issues are staying, they're staying away from those issues for now. Uh, maybe to see how the, the uh, technology plays out. And once it gets some traction and they can see how solid it is and how much easier it is for everybody, then I'd imagine they may loosen it up to other um, to other players later. So are you, do you foresee uh, a future perhaps where this kind of technology that you're championing, uh, Ian, sort of wipes out traditional raffles? <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, ultimately, we know everything's moving moving much more uh, towards phones and, and desktops, computers, and people are getting much more comfortable purchasing. I mean, I don't know. I, I remember back in the day, I worked for a, a company doing sales uh, um, that uh, we sold, you know, photos. Um, photocopy equipment, stuff like that. And people were touting back then the end of paper and we know that hasn't happened. So, uh, so I think there's probably, uh, uh, I think there's always going to be room for papers. Matter of fact, actually one of the things we're starting to, to help pioneer here too, is what we call hybrid raffles. So we'll actually, for some organizations, it's a, it's an easier step into, uh, into the online marketing or the online raffle world, just, uh, having physical tickets and also, getting the best of the online world too, and kind of coupling those things together. So there's, there's some raffles that we're working with right now that, that, that where that's available. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, I think the paper thing will always be around, but uh, we, what we do know is that nonprofits, as you know, we read from the, from the, the quote there, uh, love that there's less work involved. We know that people are getting more comfortable purchasing on their phones. And so we certainly see this, uh, definitely ramping up to, to a place where, and, and I, I would probably say too, can't speak on behalf of the regulator, but we know that systems like ours uh, bring a level of integrity over a draw and over the, the financial management of, an, of a raffle that you know, regulators and organizations feel much more um, at peace about because it takes some of the risk out of it. So whether that's ever mandated or legislated, I don't know, uh, would be great. But uh, at this point in time, uh, it, it's we're probably a far cry away from a pure online raffle, uh, but um, we're, uh, we're heading there. Now, we've got a couple of minutes left here. You brought up the example of a Jets game. So it's a two-parter. Is there an opportunity for you to integrate into a system like they have at Gold Eyes, Bombers, Jets games and go kind of paperless? And what is the process with your system? Because, of course, at the hockey games, you buy a ticket they've got on their waist or somewhere at the kiosk, they've got a little printer and they actually give you a ticket with your numbers on it. What does that process look like? And and then, of course, uh, that idea of the integration into the, sure. into yeah. the other systems. Well, good question. I guess for the integration standpoint, usually what you find is there's a there's a single provider that is that is under contract uh, procuring services to the the organization, whether it's True North or the Bombers or or whoever it would be. So um, whether or not they would want to integrate with another system, I guess it's possible, but it's usually not very. Um, um, uh, 
wouldn't be very realistic, I don't think. So obviously what we've done is we've been trying to uh, mirror the type of technology that's out there so that we can go and actually provide both of those solutions. We can provide the in on-premise as well as the online. Um, but uh, as far as uh, as purchasing a ticket, yeah, well, basically what it would look like would be if you were at a Jets game or a Bomber game or at an MGHL, like a, one of our junior hockey league games or a major, you know, a junior baseball league or whatever it was, you could still purchase a ticket like you would at the Jets game, the printer on your belt, um, maybe an iPad type of a device where you're selecting tickets and there's a cash transaction. But the the uh, the other side of it is now, now um, aunt and uncle that aren't at the game could also buy a ticket when um, parent, a brother, sister who's sitting at the game shares a link with them saying, hey, the raffle's on. We're selling tickets here at the game. Why don't you buy one from wherever you are there at home in Manitoba and get in on it? So uh, then someone would just be accessing the online, uh, basically an online a mobile responsive webpage, buying their tickets and uh, receiving their tickets over email and using a credit card to do that. So it's the best of both worlds there. If yeah. somebody listening to this right now is uh, involved in a nonprofit organization, uh, Nick, and they want to get in touch with you guys, how do they do that? Yeah, they can go straight to our website at www.fundingchange.ca. There is contact information they could email or right from the site. They can click a button and call us directly. Uh, we'd be happy to talk with all of them. Um, one thing worth mentioning also is that with our service, now we can host away game raffles too. So if you're in the province of Manitoba and your uh, team is playing in Ontario or in BC, all of the people that would be tuning in to the game there uh, that are in Manitoba now watching the game or tuning in in BC could purchase a ticket if they were running a, a raffle locally, which is a real game changer. It could double uh, a nonprofit's potential revenue. Outstanding stuff. Gentlemen, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to visit with us. Best of luck and congratulations on what you've done to this point. Really great to meet you. Thanks, thanks so much. Good to see you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Ian Smith and Nick Tenzin with Funding Change on 680 CJOB. He's Brett. I'm Greg. It's 3.08 Tuesday afternoon. It's been a hodgepodge mishmash of subject matter today. Uh, obviously, the uh, prevailing story of the day are the events of last night in Manchester, England at the Ariana Grande concert. 22 people are dead, 59 are injured, and there was a young woman who has been listed as missing her mum has been on CNN. I saw her last night. And then uh, just uh, before the news here, Brett, um, basically they have not heard from this young woman, 15 years old, nor her friend. They went to the concert together. And uh, I'm, I'm gathering that, they, that these two people are yet unaccounted for. Okay. Yet to be accounted for. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. I wonder how long we haven't seen any numbers associated with people who are unaccounted for. I don't know if you've seen anything in uh, your newscast, so maybe we'll do a little bit more digging on that. Can we can we talk about something a little bit more fun for the next little while yes. here? Uh, we know you come here for information. We try to deliver that. You come here for opportunity to discuss the news topics of the day, but I know sometimes you like to get away from it as well. And here's a story out of Halifax, Nova Scotia. The headline from Global News is Halifax woman gets unexpected apology and gift after attempted break-in? Yeah, this happened. Uh, now, it's funny. I mean, it's, it, it's the story's from a couple of weeks ago, and it dates back to earlier May. But it's one of those kind of, I think, timeless stories because... 
I know I've been in awkward situations like this. Uh, you have? Is, well, maybe. <laughs> an attempted break-in at a Halifax apartment resulted in an unexpected apology and a unique example of Nova Scotia kindness after a six-pack of Alexander Keith's arrived on her doorstep. Caitlin Hines said a drunk man attempted to enter her North End apartment on May 5th. Again, this is in Halifax, not talking about North End Winnipeg. He insisted a friend of his was staying at the apartment upstairs. After she sent him on his way, the man returned a few minutes later and attempted to pick the apartment's lock. When that did not succeed, the man left again. (laughs) Quote, we didn't call the police, but we were prepared to if he came back again, wrote Hines in a Facebook message to Global News. When she arrived at her home the next day, she found a six-pack of beer along with a note on her front door. Kind of clicked with me immediately once I recognized the box, and I just said, oh, my God, I think it's apology beer. (laughs) And we laughed for a good while over the note that was tucked inside. The letter is signed by a man who identifies himself as Cliff, who said he hoped he didn't make his friend upstairs look bad. Quote, I sincerely apologize for waking you up and being so disorderly in the middle of the night. Please accept this six-pack of average-tasting beer. As a token of my appreciation. (laughs) Cliff Cliff added that after he attempted to break in, he walked to another person's house at least eight kilometers away. Hines posted the apology on Facebook on Saturday, where it quickly went viral. As of Monday morning, the Facebook post had 922 shares. I'm happy people seem to find it. As funny as we did, wrote Hines when asked about people's response to the apology beer. Definitely never expected to take off like that. I think that's, I love that. I think my favorite part of this is how he says, please accept this six pack of average tasting beer. <laughs> that's a token. <laughs> I guess he doesn't necessarily like Alexander Keith's, but and that the reason I, <clears throat> I can't really think of anything specific, but I think we, anybody who's had a little too much to drink has perhaps found themselves confusing some one apartment for one, another? Or, yeah, whether it's an apartment or just, I seem to recall being at a bar at, and I was saying that I was getting in a fight with the coat check, the girl who was working the coat check. I thought she lost my jacket. Turns out she didn't lose my jacket. It was in the car. Mm. But I was convinced because I'd maybe had... Maybe had maybe had too good a time that night. Uh, my brother came to visit me in Calgary one time, and he uh, he phones me, and I had my my door buzzer was hooked up to my cell phone yep. so that I could let people in if I was away or something because I always had company from Manitoba when I lived in Calgary. So he's he phones me and he says, "Aren't you gonna let me in?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'll let you in. Hold on, this is click." Then he phones me back. Come on, man. Let me in. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. He'd been buzzing some other 402 on 13th Avenue probably about six times. And I think he was on the verge of getting uh, certain parts of his body kicked. And uh, so he he was sounding a little scared about the fourth time. He goes, oh, crap. I think I'm in the wrong building. Finally, (laughs) it clicked with him. I said, yeah, it's 1313. Oh, I think it's 1312. I'm on my way. I also have a friend who once slept in the guest room of what she thought was her sister's house. Yeah, it was the next door neighbor. No. Oh, yes. Let herself in. Went into the room, tiptoed, and kind of curled up on the floor. Turned out she was actually in the nursery 
Oh, God. Of her sister's neighbor. <laughs> and fortunately, the people were really cool. They brought her bacon and eggs and, and orange juice. And, no, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That could have gone a completely different way. Shoot us a text message if you've got a waking up or trying to get into a place that you think is yours or that of a friend and necessarily wasn't. 204-780-6868. I know there's a handful of those stories kicking around amongst our <laughs> listenership. If you're brave enough to tell the story, we would love to share it. We can keep your name out of it. 204-780-6868. Send us a text. You can also email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. We have stuff to give away. We are going to do that after we have a look at traffic and weather. Up next. So asking the question about how many people are missing after the attack, the terrorist attack at the Manchester Arena. 14 from the Telegraph uh, in the UK, but then the Metro said an hour ago that Laura McIntyre has been found. So that number may have shrunk by one. So in those statistics that we're giving out, uh, some of those missing may in fact be part of the injured, but for whatever reason, they have not been connected with family. And uh, But there also seems to be a contingent, a number of people that have not been heard from and have not been accounted for. So I'd be interested to know if uh, there are any plans to separate those numbers in the near future, because that I couldn't imagine. I can only imagine is what I've taken to saying in situations like these. Uh, can only imagine being a parent wondering where your son or your daughter is and they're not in a hospital and they've not been accounted for as one of the victims. Un- not knowing uh, would be almost worse, I think, than the ultimate bad news that you might get in a situation like that. Don't know how to make this transition in any other way than being awkward about it, so I'm just going to make the awkward transition from that into let's give some stuff away. Well, I guess it helps if I turn on. See? Awkward. Here, let me turn on my computer. We have two beat-the-box-office tickets to Steve Earle and the Dukes, Tuesday, September 26th at the Burton Cummings Theatre. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. But you can be the box office right now. Steve Earle and the Dukes have a song called Justice in Ontario. It's from the 1990 album The Hard Way. So today's question... The song makes reference to a number of places in Ontario, but near the end of the song, he says, in blank town, they're locked up still. I need you to fill in the blank. What is the blank? In blank town, they're locked up still. What is the blank? 204-780-6868. Again, the number is 204-780-6868. Need you to call in the answer fill in the blank in blank town they're locked up still what place is steve earl referring to 204-780-6868 if you know the answer you're going to see steve earl and the dukes september 26th burton cummings theater so while jeff waits or sifts through the calls he's answering feverishly furiously answering phone calls steve earl fan sure Actually, you know what? While I was looking for some, because I know Copperhead Road, I think that's 
Is it safe to say that's the Steve Earle song? Oh, I think that's beyond safe to say. I was I found a whole bunch of songs that I had never heard of, including this one. So that's nice. It was sort of a, I, I got myself an education. I would say that a lot of people that I know that have seen Steve Earle in concert that consider themselves fans sometimes often sometimes often often find themselves realizing that he has composed and is responsible for songs that they didn't realize he was responsible for and uh, the last time he was here he had the concert got rave reviews from people that i knew i don't know about the official reviews but people that i knew absolutely enjoyed their time and said it was a, a heck of a musical ride sorry rcmp i don't know if you have copyright on using those two words back to back but i just did it musical ride musical ride the rcmp musical ride oh my god that's where they ride on the horses and in their serge red serge and their uh, flags and they do patterns and with the horses and stuff oh okay yeah, well look at yeah, that well, yeah. i'm getting all sorts of education today <laughs> when it comes to music uh we have about 60 seconds before we need to pause here i just want to quickly read this text at 204-780-6868 and this is in reference to what we were talking about from our Halifax story. Going to a friend's party years ago. Girlfriend and I pulled up, gathered our beverages, and as we walked up, it started to rain slightly. Being the first one at the party, friend's window on his car were down, so girlfriend and I both went inside the car and rolled up the manual windows and knocked on the house door. Lo and behold, someone we didn't know answered the door. Ended up we were one house away from my friend's house. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, somebody just, yep, yeah, well, uh, that one I think is okay. That's kind of an innocent thing. It's not like you were drunk and pounding on well, someone's Well, they didn't door. admit that they were, that there was any alcohol involved. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We do need to pause. We're get, it looks like we're getting a couple more texts on this, and we'll get to that in a moment, but we do need to pause and have a look at traffic. No, we're not doing traffic. We're doing just weather and then sports, starting in two minutes. 338. Tuesday afternoon. How was the long weekend anyway? The weather really stunk it up. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, really frustrating. You know, we had Dave Phillips on, a senior climatologist with Environment and Climate Change Canada on, what, Thursday? Saying that the weekend looked great. Mm. Saying that only four times in the last 30 years has May long weekend been dry. And he was suggesting that it looked nice and sunny. Of course, that forecast changed dramatically within 24 hours of him saying that. And then Saturday, Sunday, Monday were were crappy days. You missed out on golf, huh? Well, and here's the thing: I could go. I could have gone. Like I had plans to golf on Sunday, and my playing partner decided not to go. And I, I didn't have a problem with that. And then on Monday, I had plans to golf, and both of my playing partners bailed out. I could have gone by myself. Because it's not the courses were still open, but I didn't. I don't. I like playing by myself, but I don't want to go play in the cold and rain. Of course, Saturday, the day that I was here, the day that I was working, was decent, playable weather. Yeah, that was the nice day of the weekend, right? Yeah, was yeah. the day you were stuck here. Yeah, so it's it's kind of hard to not feel like it's some sort of a cosmic joke because that's at least three times it's happened now where those because I work those extra Saturday shifts so that I can afford to live and not just exist. So you can actually golf. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> the weather's beautiful on Saturday, or at least decent. And then Sunday, it's not so so much. So I think if, if it continues to happen, I'll just have to suck it up and go play in the rain and whatever. Uh, because have we made it to 25 degrees yet? May is almost um, over. I don't know. Once, maybe. And I 
certainly couldn't tell you what day it was. I would have to double check that. Yeah, this is turning into kind of a sucky spring. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, we've had we did have some nice mild days, a little warmer I think than usual, but I don't know if we've gotten to 25. But uh yeah, so I and I feel really bad for I mean May long. It, if you're a if you're into camping Ugh. or anything outdoorsy and you look forward to May long, you probably yeah. hope every year 26 out of 30 though. The, the odds are really against you. Yeah, well, and now 27 out of 31, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been uh, wet. Just want to, can we, can we? Yeah, I was going to say before global news, we uh, did our best to give away some Steve Earle tickets. Were we successful in that endeavor? We did. He has a song called Justice in Ontario. It's from the 1990 album, The Hard Way. So today's question, the song makes reference to a number of places in Ontario. I believe Port Hope is one of them. London is another one. But near the end of the song, he says, In blank town, they're locked up still. You needed to name the blank John Zentner. Correct. Or did so correctly in Kingston Town. So congratulations, John. You are going to see Steve Earle and the Dukes Tuesday, September 26th at Burton Cummings Theatre. Tickets on sale this Friday at 10 a.m., but you can beat the box office with us tomorrow and Thursday, and then we have more tickets to give away on Friday. It's almost like the Steve Earle signature snare drum. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You it's- know, and it's it's always <laughs> at that right tension, the same tension all the time. You can almost tell a Steve Earle song just from... The snare drum. Never mind the guitar playing and the singing. Yeah, you're right. Because that's right out of Copperhead Road, I think. Yeah, almost. He has a great album title. I think it was called, was it Shut Up and Die Like an Aviator? Oh, that's very happy. And die like... uh, Joyful. Shut Up and Die Like an Aviator is a live album by Steve Earle and the Dukes. wonder what the story is behind that one. <laughs> Perhaps hey. that'll be a subject of a trivia question for later this week. Are you superstitious, Brett McGarry? A little bit. Sometimes, yeah. Last night in the uh, sportsing news, the Nashville Predators booked their ticket to the Stanley Cup final. They knocked out the Anaheim Ducks four games to do in uh, and, uh, Nashville. Last night, that arena was absolutely rocking. Yep. Last night, they're wearing the yellow. I'm really kind of all over the yellow. Oh, all the fans wearing yellow and the Predators wear yellow. It's a little bit gross, actually. <laughs> uh, but uh, those fans are as good as any fans anywhere. They were, what were they saying? They were chanting at the goalie, hey, Bernier, you suck, you suck. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. <laughs> Which I thought was outstanding. I think I've got a version of it. Uh, that's that's essentially what they were trying to say. Anyway, they won last night the the Clarence Campbell Bowl. That symbolizes the champion of the of the Western Conference. Oh yes, and of course they want to win the Stanley Cup. So Jim Daly's there from the uh, National Hockey League. The VP calls up their captain Mike Fisher, Carrie Underwood's husband. He's in street clothes because he's injured. They call him up to accept the Campbell, the Clarence Campbell Bowl, and he won't touch it. 
because there's this superstition now in the National Hockey League. The conference champions won't touch the trophy. And according to Ron McLean, that started in 97 with the Flyers in the Eastern Conference. And uh, it's, uh, since 2004, I think the Calgary Flames were the last team, last Western Conference team to handle the trophy. So they just gather around and they don't touch it and they get their picture taken with it, but they will not officially or physically receive or accept the trophy. Oh, interesting. And you could hear one of the guys on the broadcast last night, don't touch it, fish! Don't touch it! (laughs) (laughs) So if you think uh, hockey players aren't a superstitious bunch, that's all the validation you needed was last night around uh, about 9 o'clock last night when Nashville knocked out the Anaheim Ducks. They are the first number 16 teams make it into the National Hockey League playoffs, eight from each conference. Nashville would have been if they were playing each other one through 16. Nashville was the 16th ranked team. They're the first 16 team, 16 seed to make it to the Stanley Cup final. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Good for them. That's a great story. Um, I'm sure Gary Bettman's just thrilled. Oh, yeah. He can't wait. He can't wait for Nashville, Ottawa. (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Uh, Ottawa, by the way, hosting Pittsburgh tonight. Uh, The Penguins shellacked. Uh, the Senators on, I guess it was Saturday night, was it 7 nothing? Yeah. Yeah, was not good. Not good. In fact, uh, this is how faithful and uh, trustworthy or trusting the Senators fans are. There are several hundred tickets left for tonight's game, if you can believe that, in Ottawa. Really? Yeah, Senators fans uh, are uh, under pressure to to buy the remaining tickets. In fact, uh, there was a game against the Rangers, I believe, in round two where there were about 2,600 Empty seats. Come on. Yes. How is that possible in Canada? The arena's way too big for their market. It's got close to 19,000 seats in a market uh, a size uh, just, you know, about 20% bigger than Winnipeg. Okay. So, and those tickets are not cheap and they're high up. uh, But yeah, there, there is no other market, I don't think, where... You would wonder whether or not a game in the uh, Eastern Conference final would be sold out or not. That could be a reality tonight in Ottawa. Kind of bizarre. That's sad. 346 on 680 CJOB. We're going to have a look at traffic, weather, and we'll hear from the boys from the news this afternoon. Matt Cardi filling in for Julie Buckingham and Richard Cloutier will join us. All coming up starting in two minutes. How quick can we get to Ottawa? We can set just about any place we want the game tonight. They got 100 section tickets, hundreds of tickets left in the 300 area. What's this, 326? There's 107 tickets at 135 bucks a piece available. Richard Cluche, Matt Cardi joining Greg and Brett in the studio getting ready for the news. Richard, you say the Senators will win tonight? I do believe that this series will go to a Game 7. Well, what what leads you to believe that? You did see the game on it was uh, a blowout. Saturday night, right? It was a blowout. Or and Sunday? At times, you you know, once it's up, what, 4, 5 nothing or 3 nothing, you just, you know, save your energy for the next game. Save your energy. You heard it here first. Okay. Got to have faith, uh, you know, for in, the Canadian in, team. In Do you think they're done? No, I don't. Do you think no, the I Senators don't. are done? Yeah, they're done. They are, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> they're done. All right. I'm really cheering Save for Nashville. Time. That's a hockey town, Isn't apparently. Isn't that crazy? The way they, I mean, they've been, I think, been very good fans for an awfully long time. But the way they have embraced this run uh, by the Predators, really, I've wanted to go to see the Jets play in Nashville for a long time. That's like 
mandatory next year. <laughs> I think I'd rather go there than Las Vegas. Anyway, we digress. What have you guys uh, got cooking for us uh, between four and seven, Mr. Cluche? Matt, you want to go first? I'm just looking here to see if we can put him on a plane. To all <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, we've got a uh, very uh, busy show pack. Lots of news happening today. Unfortunately, what happened in... Uh, Manchester uh, last night, very tragic, and we're going to be speaking with Roz Weston of Entertainment Tonight on how celebrities are reacting to this and, you know, even him talking uh, about uh, his own daughter and sending her off to uh, concerts now and how he feels about that. Um, An emergency spacewalk uh, for the International Space Station, going to talk to Scott Young of the Mantle Planetarium about uh, what went down and why they had to... uh, do that emergency spacewalk. I'm also quite interesting. You know, does that thing age like a car? Will it one day be obsolete and and we, you know, we'll have to put her out to pasture or something? I'm guessing it doesn't rust <laughs> in outer space, but I'd like to know the answer. Yeah, I can get you to Toronto. Yes, <laughs> in Toronto, we can uh, hop you on uh, a quick one to auto. We can get you there for about midway through the second period. Yeah, no, I'll pass. The game will be over by then. But thanks anyway, Rich. I appreciate right. it. No problem. I was looking. It's good teamwork, though. Yeah, it is. He's looking to see if he. I didn't realize that Rich and I would make uh, such a powerful team of sports travelers. Uh, Alexander Micklethwaite leaving Winnipeg. This came as a little bit of a surprise. He's flying this back morning. in this afternoon, and he will join us uh, just before Brett McGarry joins us for new release Tuesday. So we're sandwiching him between the five thirty news and Brett McGarry. Um, Perfect spot. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, he's headed out to Hurricane Alley, isn't he? Or, or rather, Tornado Alley. Tornado Alley. In, I don't know uh, if they've Oklahoma had any hurricanes City. there, but uh, uh, they've got uh, more more earthquakes than ever now, too. I, I am super laser focused On? because tomorrow oh, is yes. the big spin challenge. <laughs> of course. High noon, Winnipeg cycle, Kluche versus Khan. I'm not sure which Kluche is going to show up. I've been asking my cousins, but I guess I'm going to be stuck uh, doing this uh, spin challenge. Um, McGarry would not agree to be on my team, but that's fine. I've rounded out the team. Yeah, it sounds like you've got some real ringers. You figured that the bombers or observers suggested that the blue bombers would make outstanding ringers. Abby is radio silent until 5.15 today. So we'll know who his team is? Uh, We will try. Okay. Richard Kuchay? Matt Cardi and uh, the one and only Ibrahim Khan, the former Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You know him uh, as Abby Khan, the uh, entrepreneur extraordinaire, and taking on Richard Cloutier on the bicycle tomorrow, the stationary bicycle. Richard Cloutier, Matt Cardi, thank you very much, gentlemen. They'll have more from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. That is all the time that we have this afternoon. Again, thanks for all of your feedback earlier today on the Manchester situation. Uh, We appreciate you weighing in. Regardless of whether or not we agree with your thoughts, we do appreciate that you take the time to send us your thoughts uh, because your opinions are just as valid as our opinions, and we want to keep that conversation going as Mackling and McGarry continues starting once again tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Up next, it's Richard and Matt on the news, and then don't forget Charles Adler tonight from 9 until midnight. Jeff Forte. Thanks for that big smile and master control on 680 CJOB.